Are we ready? Oh my god, we're gonna start episode 9. <gasps> this is our last single digit episode. Yes, <gasps> it's gonna be fun. We're gonna make it special. How exactly? I'm gonna off my aircon. What? No! You should be comfortable when you're recording. The buzzing <laughs> a bit noisy la. No, it really doesn't matter. I can't hear it at all. coming to an end, what better way to revisit our goals and see how far ahead or behind we are. So... Are you ahead or are you behind? I'm very curious and interested to know. I was about to ask you that question, but you beat me no, to No, 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 no. I, I asked first, so you shall explain first. <laughs> am I ahead or behind? Uh, if you see from the big picture, I am behind. But... I am hmm. one optimistic fool and I'll be ahead soon. Soon? So your turn. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to dive into the specifics. So sure. again, we have a few categories of life that we are tracking. One of it is weight tracking, which something magical has happened between episodes. Would you like to tell the listeners what happened between last episode and this episode? We got a new smart weighing machine and it's amazing because it gives you a body score. So all along, I'm someone that tracks my weight daily and this smart weighing machine puts a score to it. So now I know whether I'm failing my body score or I'm acing it like an Asian. (laughs) So how has the new smart weighing machine worked out for you? Yeah, so I have got a smart weighing machine as well. We both got the same model of smart weighing machine. It is the Xiaomi Body Composition Analyzer. Apparently, okay, the link will be in the show notes. This weighing machine, it's able to measure so many things, including, okay, I'm just going to list down, yeah, including visceral fat level, BMI, body fat, Muscle mass, water percentage, protein percentage, and like basal metabolism and bone mass. So I know a lot of people's first impression of something like this is like, is it even accurate? Are you sure that it's actually measuring all this? And what I can tell you is that it doesn't have to be completely accurate because it will be consistently inaccurate. Like what I want is just to improve on this metric. It doesn't matter if my bone mass isn't exactly 2.5 kg. I just want to work towards optimal in this metric. Yeah, so this this whole concept is called bioelectrical impedance analysis. So BIA. And a lot of the things like body fat, muscle mass, water percentage, they are from BIA. Basically, the weighing machine passes a current from your left leg to your right leg, and then it's able to measure like how much resistance the current was able to pass through, travel through your body, and hence from this is able to derive a value of how much muscle the current squeezed through during the journey up your left leg, down your right leg. Yeah, something like that. And it is reasonably accurate for monitoring trends. Yeah, I think the very first time when I step on a machine and I'm I'm very surprised at all the things that it track. And I think my first reaction was also, who is this app to tell me that I'm not eating <laughs> enough protein? You don't know why I just ate. I think another good indicator that I always check also is also the body age. Oh yeah, so oh yeah, I have no idea how they measure it. It's just there. <laughs> 
Same, but like you say, I like the sharing on how like it's inaccurate, but you're just monitoring the general trend, whether you're maintaining or like improving. So I use body yeah. age as one of the indicator that I look at to make sure that you know the body age like stays consistent throughout. Hmm. Another thing I like to share is that basal metabolism. It's not from the electricity. It's not from BIA. It's from a formula. So, as you get deep into all these like physiological measurements, you start to realize that there is an estimated formula for everything. Like for example, maximum heart rate. Are you into any like cardiovascular sport? Like any like spin bikes or anything that is trying to get you to hit a certain heart rate? Are you into anything like that? No way. Most. Most of the cardio or exercise I do now is mostly running. So I'm just gonna share with you this concept about max heart rate, maximum heart rate, because it's such a weird thing. Maximum heart rate is dependent on your age. The idea is that as you age, your max heart rate should decrease. So what is considered the maximum heart rate, and then that that heart rate is used to benchmark a lot of other things, like whether you are in the you're running in a Fat burn zone, or whether you're running in a another zone. Sorry, I'm not very well versed in this. <laughs> I yeah. think on the Samsung watch, there's a five to six zone. There's the yeah. fat burning and yeah. aerobic, anaerobic. Yes, all these. Yeah, so <laughs> all these is based on your age estimate, and the formula for your max heart rate is just very basic: two hundred and twenty minus your age. Oh, that's it. Yeah, so. In theory, that means my max heart rate, our max heart rate is one ninety four, and from that, we just expose our age. It's fine. <laughs> it's not a secret. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and from that, we can say since it's one ninety four, it's our hundred percent max heart rate, right? The one of the zones is eighty percent of that, which is around one five five. So hitting between like maybe for ah sixty percent to eighty percent of the max heart rate. Means you're in the aerobic zone, something like that, and this is what the devices use to calculate things like this. And it surprises me that it's such a simple formula.、Mm, so how does it link to the basal metabolism? So it's just a metric that is displayed there. It's from a formula. It takes into account your height and weight, and that's it. And then other things in the formula. It's quite a complicated formula, but ultimately the input, the things that will change it, right, is your height and weight. So actually, we don't update our height much, lah. But it's just our weight. Our weight is the only thing that's changing our basal metabolism. <laughs> just、ah, something sharing, yeah. So it's not actually part of the BIA, the electricity thing.、Mm. Yeah. Another interesting thing I learned about this max heart rate that uh I chance upon an article that I read about recently is also、mm. for long distance runner. It's a metric、yes. that they will also monitor. So they will try not to hit. A certain okay, I'm not too sure of the percentage. They will try not to hit a certain percentage of this maximum heart rate. Right, right. Okay, so this comes from the idea that when you're running like a long marathon, you're supposed to be in the aerobic zone, I believe. Okay, don't come after me if this is wrong. I'm not an athlete, but yeah. So when you're running a long marathon, you're supposed to be expending oxygen in a aerobic way, in a sustainable way. This means that you should be intaking oxygen the same, or roughly the same rate as you are expending oxygen. This is a、oh, yeah. terrible explanation. I'm sorry. I am a healthcare professional, but I don't really understand all this. It's fine.、So... Or、oh, in simple terms, <laughs> if you're doing a long distance run, just run at a pace that you're still able to carry a conversation. Right. So I've always wondered this. I've wondered about like 
how do you judge whether you are exercising sufficiently or not? And actually, your heart rate ratio over your max heart rate is a good indicator as to how much you're exerting yourself. Because in theory, if you are running at your maximum speed, then your heart rate will be its maximum. You will be at your max heart rate. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then if you're running a marathon, you are trying to protract, you're trying to spread it out, make sure that it can last the entire run, you need to run at a lower heart rate. A sustainable heart rate. Yes, you need to run at a fraction of your max heart rate because that is the sustainable range, the aerobic range. Mm, I'm not too sure of the percentage also, but I've read quite a few articles that mention that um, you should keep within a specific range away from the maximum heart rate. Mm, okay, yeah, so this is just something I'm sharing la, because max heart rate, which implies your exertion level, is very hard to quantify, but turns out it's such a simple formula that governs all this, and it's used a lot in like trainings, in gyms, to benchmark like how much are you actually exercising. Yeah, that's just why I'm sharing this, and it turns out it's such a simple formula. Mm, I'm surprised also that it's such a... Such a straightforward formula. Just take 220, deduct your age. Let me just ask you, how has your experience been? Like, has this weighing scale changed your life or like certain small aspects of your life in any way? So how has it changed my life? I think since I started using the new weighing machine to weigh myself and uh, every day, mm. I find that I will start to take note on the overall body score to ensure that oh. I stay within the same range of score and actually so far I'm quite proud that my body score has been constant since the start the body score actually I take some issue with because I don't understand what it is so even though I have a good score I don't know what it's measuring <laughs> okay but would you like to share also, your score uh 88 uh, not a competition but still an A <laughs> <laughs> what's your value 96 <laughs> oh my god you're so healthy <laughs> No, no. Okay, no wonder. Yeah, okay, it's not a competition. It's okay. It's I'm not only a like 88. It's fine. It's fine. But uh, my, I think there's one item, one of the goals, right, that I haven't been able to meet since the start as well. Is it visceral fat? No, it's not. Eh. Mine is oh, muscle. Okay. So apparently, oh. my muscle is like insufficient. I haven't been able to meet these items since the start. Even mm. after I run, after a workout, I would even go and weigh myself to see, you know, in hopes that the muscle will increase a bit and meet, meet the normal range, but it hasn't. Mm. Running doesn't really build muscle mass. Those you really need to like do weight training and statics. Ah, okay, that's that's also true, lah. That's true. Is I'm not really bu- strength building or gymming. I'm not even gymming right now. Yeah, yeah, that's so fine. Just now you mentioned visceral fat. Is it? Hmm. This is the item that you haven't been able to meet. Yeah, this is the item for me that I cannot hit, and it's <laughs> never been in the green. It's always orange, and I don't understand why. Cause I don't look. We're back to this again, like appearance versus metrics. Like it doesn't doesn't matter. Like I don't look physically fat or obese, but the values, the metrics are telling me that I am. So just for follow-up sake, I'm just gonna share that my BMI is 23.6, which is a deprovement from the last episode. Incredible. So I can't believe that I am like this much overweight. It's not like I okay, maybe I 
maybe I had a meal before I took the measurement. I'm not really sure what happened there. But yeah, so apparently my BMI has been consistently increasing from last episode to this episode. And oh well, it's okay. I'll get away from the idea. I'm curious, do you measure your weight at the around the same timing every day? I try. So you told me. <laughs> because it matters eh. Yeah, you told me that you measure it when you wake up, before you drink water, and after you poop. <laughs> yes, very important because your poop holds weight. <laughs> I know, I know it does. I've tried to be consistent about it, but it's not rewarding me for being consistent. Like, yes, I'm slightly lighter after a toilet trip, but <laughs> it's still... The trend is going upwards, and that's worrying. But it's okay, because it's by Asian BMI guidelines, and on an international level, I'm still considered healthy range. So that's fine, I'll leave it as that. Okay, don't worry, I'm good, I'm good, I am healthy, I am healthy. Okay, continue, let's move on. Instead of, you know, adjusting your scoring, we change the goalposts. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Everything (laughs) is a human construct. Like, if you can just change your thinking and make your life better, why won't you do it? Exactly, everything is a human construct, even time. So that will bring us to our sleep goals later. Oh my god, okay. (laughs) Actually, I don't have much to say about weight goals already. Can we talk about sleep goals now? Okay. (laughs) But before that, I want to ask, have you been wearing your smartwatch? How is it? Are you back on goals tracking? So I've been wearing my smartwatch on and off. I wore it to sleep once. (gasps) Like, I really did. Do you whack your face? Oh, I didn't. So, I think Oh, that's great. Because... That means you can do it. <laughs> yeah. So, I think it's also... I'm guessing it's because when I wear the smartwatch, right? And then, I still have the irrational fear that I might smack my face with the watch. I actually slept with my arm extended, like, at the <laughs> corner. And I try not to move it for the night. Oh, no. Was it sore after that? My elbows ache a bit. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, well... So, I have stopped wearing the watch to sleep since that day. <sighs> you only tried it one night. Come on, you need more data points. Trust me, they do make a difference. And more importantly, they provide a very clear, like a brutally clear picture of your sleep goals, which is the point that we're going to touch on next. <laughs> yeah, my sleep goals hasn't been amazing. I'm definitely falling behind on this, but hey, you are not falling behind if you don't have a goal. <laughs> what? Thank you. <laughs> you can't say that. I do not have a sleep goal. <laughs> Hence, you won't fall back on your sleep goals, right? Because the goal doesn't exist, right? <laughs> yes. No goal post at all. So every kick is a score. Okay, okay. But how is your arm when you wear the watch? Is it giving you irritation like last time? Mm, I still do have like rashes oh, no. when prolonged wearing of the mm. watch. So I've been wearing it on and off and not very consistently. All right, all right. Oh my God. I guess it might be time to think about like this watch is really not suitable for your body. Like, biologically, it just didn't work out. It wasn't compatible. So, I mean, you can still continue tracking certain things with your phone. It might take a bit more effort. But I think the effort is comparable to maintaining a watch with a charged battery and all that. So, you just need to be a bit more diligent when logging certain things. I guess it's not the smartwatch to blame. Mm-hmm. Since I don't really have a habit of wearing like, you know, bracelet, right, right. necklaces and such accessories. So, I'm just very used to not having anything on my wrist. Yeah, so just a fun fact. 
about maybe it's not the watch that is to blame maybe it's me not having the habit so you know when I have uh, I wear a new accessory um, maybe I move in a certain way that is uncomfortable mm, yeah, okay. and hence the irritation and to be fair it is quite a bulky watch so I'll give it to you but I still hope you can find the groove someday but until then, I guess, if you still want accurate goals tracking, you can use your phone or to try and log your sleeping hours. I believe your phone does try to give an estimate because on days where I don't wear my watch to sleep, like accidentally slept for nothing, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, so on <laughs> days where that happens, right, my phone does try to estimate to its best of its ability, which actually is a very accurate estimation because... My phone knows exactly what time I put down my phone and starts to sleep. This is an unexpected benefit of having no screen time embargo, like from from the point you wake up. I was about to say that yeah, and that shows yeah. that you always have your phone with you everywhere you go. Yeah. So that is an unintended side effect of having no screen time embargo. You put down your phone, you go to bed. And you wake up straight away to your phone. So that is a very accurate estimation of what your sleeping hours are. And your phone can actually do that automatically. So maybe you can use that as a data point as well if you don't wear your watch at all. So from all your pitch on how I should track my sleep goals, I'm assuming you track your sleep goals very diligently. Yeah, because I still wear my watch and this week hasn't been a good one. (laughs) So how has it been? (laughs) Okay, before I share any values... I need to tell you something important, okay? Sure. I have realised, in terms of sleep goals lah, at least, bad days exist because good days exist. And it's not in the conventional sense, okay? It's not like absence makes it more beautiful, the sunset is pretty because it's fleeting. No, okay, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. This is what happened last week. For one of the days, I slept really long. Like, I slept from 9pm all the way through to the next morning, which was very great. Because I was on track. But then the next day, I couldn't fall asleep. So I ended up working until like 1 to 2am. Then from that day onwards, right, the whole week was out of whack already. Like I couldn't (laughs) fall asleep early again. So it's not like in the sense that like, oh, you must have bad days so you can appreciate the good days. No, it's the good day was a direct reason why the bad day existed after that. Do you see the (laughs) irony in this case? It's... Okay, so this is like the sleep debt theory. I don't know how true is this sleep debt theory. It's saying mm-hmm. that, you know, if you sleep too much, exactly your point. If you sleep too much at the start of the week, then you'll feel energised enough to sleep lesser in the remaining yeah. of the week. Yeah, or to be unable to sleep, which was what happened to me. So, sad life. So, let me share my sleep goal, sleep metrics. So, for the- my average sleep duration, which my target is 6.5 hours every day, mm-hmm. I only hit 5 hours and 12 minutes for the past week. So every day I only slept about 5 hours, which is very unhealthy because I should be ridden with diseases. Like based on data points from research and other places, I should be ridden with diabetes, uh, Alzheimer's disease, a lot of other things. I should be obese. Yeah, all these kind of wow. things. Yeah. Because it's five hours, you see? So it's very unhealthy. Yeah. What is yours? <laughs> What's oh, your average duration? I think it's hard for me to estimate the average sleep duration for this week because mm. it's been very erratic. 
There oh. are two days where I slept two hours, two to three hours. Wait, wait, okay, okay. If you don't mind, let me just use your phone and let's see what your phone says, okay? You didn't wear your watch this week, right? Do you wear a watch this week to sleep? No, I didn't. Okay, can you go into your phone? Go into Samsung Health. <laughs> Samsung Health, okay, hmm. let's see. Yep, I'm in it. And you're gonna ask me whether it records my sleep, right? Mm. It didn't. Oh no! Can there you... is zero data. Can you press into it anyway? And like, is there an option to enable like some monitoring? Uh, I click into it and they, mm. there's two options. You either wear your watch at night or mm. you record manually. And I did neither. Mm, okay, <laughs> so really cannot. Uh. Can you play around with it like try to search for the option to record with phone only no eh, there's no way so oh, no. that's why earlier when you mentioned i was a bit curious like um how is my phone gonna monitor my sleep because oh. i'm not someone that have my phone with me all the time then must record manually already law yeah my phone can mm. actually do that one there eh. i don't know how it does it yeah but on mm. days where i don't right like my watch is charging right like it it wasn't on me, so there's no heartbeat for it to detect. But my phone law, my phone will guess, like, based on the time I put down, then it will try and estimate, like, it will always be a round number if I if it's an estimation. So, like, 2.30 flat. I did not fall asleep at 2.30 on the dot, but it will always be, like, flat at 2.30 until 6.30 a.m., that kind. Yeah. I'm guessing it's because you are very active with your phone. Your phone is always on the go. You don't have, like, long moments where your phone is just still on your table. I guess like now, now would be a time where it's still because we're doing the recording, right? So my phone is just sitting mm. there on its own. <laughs> Maybe so it thinks it I'm sleeping. Sleep? No, it doesn't. It's very good about this. So this is one of the things that I heard about the Samsung versus Apple paradigm because one of my friends who uses the Apple smartwatch system, his Apple watch would actually think that he's sleeping even when the watch is clearly being charged. So like by definition, when you are charging your phone, it means that it's not being worn in the first place. So you can't ascertain that your user is asleep, right? And it's not even like in a sleeping time. It's like in the middle of the day kind of thing, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. And your watch confidently tells you that you are sleeping because you're just because you're charging your phone. So Samsung typically doesn't run into such issues. Ah, okay. But if I were to put myself in my phone shoes, I think I'm a tough nugget to track. You're not that unpredictable. Come on. Ultimately, everyone is just a profile. Like, you match the typical profile of a very rebellious teenager who falls asleep at 3 to 4 a.m. It's very predictable, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but a very rebellious teenager, so just to counter your argument for the sake of it, a very mm-hmm. rebellious teenager would always have their phone glued with them. But I think not I necessary. do have days, right, where my phone is like 8 hours still on the table. Wow. Because I don't really use my phone when I'm working, so it's just there. Okay, okay. I have experienced this before. Like, I'm trying to contact you, but you just never reply me the whole day. I totally understand. Yeah, okay, working hours is a bit tough, but after working hours, it's fine. (laughs) Same for me too, actually. Mm. So, yeah, I can show you my Samsung Health the next time we meet. It does not track my sleep at all. That's so sad. How are you going to track your sleep? Come on, I want to compare our values. because it's the data that I'm comfortable to live without knowing. (laughs) I want to know your data because part of me is secretly hoping that you perform worse than me so that I can feel better about it. Oh, definitely. 
definitely. You don't have to hope. No. I can confirm for you. I'm definitely performing worse than you. Like this week, I can very confidently tell you on two of the nights, I slept like two to three hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm super confident about this. <laughs> okay, so my shortest sleep of this week is four hours and five minutes. And the longest is six hours and 42 minutes. So it's like not here, not there. But even the absolute shortest is four hours and five minutes. So none of the sleeping episodes were less than four hours. So it's actually good. But wow, this is a far cry from the ideals that we should be hitting, which is seven to nine hours. I can't get it out of my head. Like, I can't believe we are supposed to sleep seven to nine hours every night. That is inhumane. (laughs) But... I guess we got to take it as it is. Mm, but it's a good thing that your range is very... It's a good thing that you have a small range. Mm. So like your shortest is four hours, but your longest is six hours. It's a small range. It's not like two and nine is hours. It? It's okay, I guess, I guess. Yeah, at least it's consistent. Like, I'm screwing up, but I'm screwing up consistently. That's right. <laughs> I love that saying. <laughs> no, but that's not helping. Okay, never mind. Moving on. Okay, I saw a meme about work. It's supposed to reassure you that it's okay. We do have bad days, but mm-hmm. it's more important to be consistent. So you screw up consistently. <laughs> I don't think that's the point of that message. <laughs> bad life motto. Okay. So given your sleep goals data, are you going to adjust these goals going into the new year or even right now? Are you going to adjust it? Okay, so I put down this point here because... Like, I wanted to talk about goal adjustment because we did meet up to have an actual goal adjustment now that the year is ending. And I just wanted to share, like, what has changed since then and how I'm intending to meet those goals. Sleep, fortunately, was never an actionable thing that I could do, you know, that I could carry out to help me sleep more or sleep better. So, thankfully, it's just there to increase visibility and... If I feel uncomfortable sharing on a public podcast that the shortest sleep I've had is 4 hours, then it would nudge me to do something about it. And this is more actionable than actually planning what to do with my bedroom with my sleep cycle. Yeah, so that is the idea why the goals exist. But for our goal adjustment, I want to share that I've been using a lot of justified slash unjustified reasons as excuses for falling short of my running goals. I had a shoulder dislocation at second quarter of the year. It's I had my wrist. <laughs> Is it? Is it? You use your shoulder valid. to run, man. Yeah, no, hey, that's the shoulder me. movement, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you don't use your shoulder to run. You can still run with a shoulder dislocation. That is a terrible excuse. Okay, I also had wisdom teeth surgery at my third quarter. So I did not hit my goals for Q2 and Q3 for running goals. Yeah, running is the most obvious goal, so I'm just going to share. I'm just going to start sharing about it here. Uh, So fourth quarter, I came back and I did something stupid. While I was talking to you, I did some math and I calculated what it would actually take to hit my goals. What is a reasonable value for me to try to attain before the year ends? And turns out, 
it's not that bad. So after everything, like I made up for, I compensated for the amount I didn't run or when I will start running again within fourth quarter and everything. My ultimate goal that I want to hit by the end of this year is 200km by end of year, which roughly translates to another 100km in this quarter. Mm, that's doable. Yeah, so it seems doable and I think it's doable because that translates to 1.1km per day every single day that exists because that's how my spreadsheet calculates and shows me the value like there are how many days remaining till the end of the year and based on the distance that you still have to clock this is the amount that you have to run every day and with that I can scale it up what is the amount I need to run if I run every two days every three days once a week, how much do I need to clock? And once a week is 7.8km. So actually, that's not super unreasonable. It's not like the last episode when we discussed it's 9km per day. Yeah, that one is not doable. But 7km, 8km per week is kind of doable. So in a weird turn of events, that's what I have been doing because I stupidly proved to myself that it's doable. So now I'm forcing myself to be accountable <sighs> mm, we use this app to track the run and we can see each other's uh, yeah. running data and oh my gosh since Q4 you've been amping up your running routine you all want to say consistent. you have been very diligent in clocking your runs too in one one of the exercises one of the workout sessions you clocked an entire 16km 1.6 I've never even ran 16km in one sitting before I don't know how you do it yeah so oh that's been going on Yeah, this year has been phenomenal I did runs like long runs that I never think that I'll be able to do it like mm. at the start of the year if you tell me that I'll be able to run 20km in one oh shot right I would think you're crazy but oh my goodness. I still think I you're crazy. Think... <laughs> I think I lost my mind a little too. But okay, okay. it's also in an effort to try to amp up and try to reach my goal, which I am still very far away from. But Are I you think... sure? I'm going to look at your numbers now. I'm sorry. I'm just going to look at your numbers. <laughs> I'm loading up Yeah, you right can now. just look at my but I'm just <laughs> But I can just give a brief summary. I just crossed the 50% mark. <gasps> Congrats! But I do not have 50% of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so it's a very... No uh, la, it's, it's a very big gap that I need to close. No <laughs> you're hitting 600km already. That's 60%. Give yourself more credit. Oh my god. No, I haven't hit 600 la, So to me, it's Within like a 50 error. plus... We did a rounding error, you're there already. Congratulations, really good job. I wanted to ask you, like, what was your motivation for going on such long runs? Like, do you just spontaneously do that? Um, not really. Okay, some are spontaneous, but what I found really helped me, right, is to have a running buddy oh. to, like, really push you. Because for those long runs, I realized you will hit a point where you just cannot go on anymore then it helps to have an accountability partner to cheer you on or motivate you to just finish and hit the mm. goal for that run. It really helps me for long runs. Mm, I can see how that helps too. Still waiting for us, for you, to be my <laughs> running accountability partner and run with me. I'm going to scream at you. I'll tell you, don't oh, no. stop. <laughs> like wow, a military no, training style. No. Nah, I I'll will stop. Nice. But, oh. You can't control me. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, but one interesting thing that I found out helped me run longer distance is also to vary the running road. Mm. And to run at those roads where it's your only way home. <gasps> so you die, die, have to finish and cover the distance. If not, there's <laughs> no way home for you. So today, I did a 10k run. Oh my god. I vary my running road and when I run to this park that is quite far from my place, such that when I hit the point of exhaustion, mm-hmm. I only have one way home. I have to push myself to finish 10k. And it works! That is so scary and unhealthy <laughs> sounding because what if you really, really. I don't mean it in a bad way, but what if you really cannot make it? What if you really, like, you have to pass out right there and you're unable to get home? No, that's very bad. You should always stay within, like, human population. You should always stay near, like, where backup is readily available. I know, right? It's a risk that I took. So I didn't bring my mask with me. There's no way I can take public transport home. And I'm super sweaty, so I doubt any taxi drivers will want to drive me home. And the fear also spurred me on because the mm. park gets dark. And yeah, the only way to safety is to complete your 10k run. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you're so harsh on yourself. I kind of admire this, but also I'm very worried for you because one day I'm just gonna contact, try to contact you and you're just not gonna be contactable because you didn't bring anything out and you're <laughs> stranded somewhere squatting by the roadside waiting for someone to help you. <laughs> he oh my god, yeah. That's so unhealthy. So... Please, please find healthier alternatives to motivate you because I'm sure you can function with a healthy amount of motivation. You don't need to reduce yourself to the extent where... Pushing forward is your only choice at survival. <laughs> but no, like, to, to be honest, I also had fun. I, I wanted to try this running okay. road for quite some time. So it was fun, though scary mm. a bit. I got lost a little, but it was fun. <laughs> I think I can see on the map roughly where you got lost. Yeah. <laughs> I find it so funny. But anyway, so I got one suggestion for you. The next time you you feel very motivated to complete a long run, go and run McRitchie. There's no way out. <laughs> there really is no way out. And the ground is so muddy and slippery and dangerous. It is, it is. No, so I'm run not with someone to Marichi, such that <laughs> when you hit your point of exhaustion, your friend would tell you that we have to finish the run by 5pm and get out because Marichi actually gets pretty dark. Yeah, like from 5 that. to 6 p.m. onwards. Mm-hmm, I know. So you go and you start running at 4 p.m. Then by hook or by crook, you have to finish it. Idea. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for your ideas, but because I value my aliveness, uh, <laughs> likely not going to be doing that anytime soon. <laughs> Alright, so someone mentioned to me that I, as a research literate person, should not be wow. using Wikipedia as a citation, or at least, okay, this is where it showed up. So... A friend of mine was listening to the podcast and he noticed that our show notes have a lot of Wikipedia links and that it's not great research etiquette to include so many wiki links. But I'd just like to share something here. So Wikipedia has become a really powerful tool 
as an overview. So I typically only share wiki in the show notes where we touched upon something and as usual, we didn't fully explain it or go into it and we're probably never going to touch it again. So the wiki is just there as a reference link for further reading, just as a touch and go in case you really want to know more about it because we didn't discuss it deeply in the episode. And also a general comment on Wikipedia as a whole. Wiki has evolved to become an extremely accurate repository of information. Don't underestimate the power of crowdsourcing information. Wiki works because while it's easy to think of cynics that don't believe in the system and they want to wreck everything by vandalizing or constantly griefing and making things difficult for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. These people are actually minorities and outliers and the vast majority of humanity is actually good. That's how systems like Wikipedia can work. And today is actually really good because there are volunteers that sign up to actively monitor pages that cover topics that they are interested or passionate in. And the power of the edit history that shows who made the latest edit and discuss changes and the ability to revert it back to a previous version if it turns out that the edit wasn't value-adding. This is amazing. So... I was a Wikipedia moderator for a while during my military days and uni days. I've stopped already since then, but it is very, really a great community. And you must know the purpose of why you are quoting a particular source. If it's just as an overview, Wikipedia is actually really good for that. Yeah, and I'd just like to address it here. Yes. So you wouldn't use Wiki as a citation in any paper or published material because of the simple fact that wiki is editable and the facts change. Sure, the facts are correct at the time of publication, but facts can change and you cannot quote Wikipedia as a source because when the facts change, the page will change. So you cannot quote a dynamic source. You have to quote something that is a primary source that will never change once it's published. Mm. But an overview is fine. This is just my mini rant. I get what you mean. My thing on Wikipedia is when it comes to very crucial pieces of work where your work will eventually be used in the ultimate uh, decision-making it's mm-hmm, best to mm-hmm. just quote from multiple sources and yeah, don't yeah. use wiki. Because mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. dynamic after all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when it comes to, you know, casual writing, you know... Yeah, yeah. Like, I no just want a rough overview. Of... Mm-hmm, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. No strong opinion of Wikipedia. But just yeah, don't use Urban good. Dictionary. That's something that <laughs> I oh. don't agree with. <laughs> okay, so here's an interesting case, like, I I do understand where you're coming from. Don't use Urban Dictionary. But think about what are the potential things that you would need to cite something like Urban Dictionary. There are potential things that you can use Urban Dictionary to illustrate your point. And it is Mm -hmm. completely valid in those cases. But of course, in most cases, it is not. But there are edge cases where you can use Urban Dictionary to illustrate your point. And I find this a very interesting thought experiment try to defend Urban Dictionary. Like what cases will use Urban Dictionary definition as a citation, actually? Huh. Yeah. The only time where I would actually chance upon Urban Dictionary is when I come across like slangs or lingo that mm. I don't quite understand. But all these things doesn't come into play in my work. So to me, Urban mm. Dictionary mm-hmm. is just a no-no. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Not for work. 
But basically, yeah, the answer of when you can use Urban Dictionary as a source is largely like a cultural one. Like you want to illustrate that people feel that this is the case. And if it exists on Urban Dictionary and you can see that there's active discussion on it, you can quote the entire web page as a source. Like look at the perspectives of people like pop culture references. This is a notable pop culture reference because it exists on Urban Dictionary. Right? Because if ah, it's not, okay. yeah, if it's not, it wouldn't exist on Urban Dictionary. So a similar site to this is Know Your Meme. Oh. Yeah. So this is a very interesting Wikipedia style website that tries to archive and explain the history of every single meme that was out there. Why was this thing viral? Uh, what resulted in this thing being viral and how is it used today? Yeah, so you can find a lot of examples about like past memes and if you hear something trending on Twitter, there is likely a Know Your Meme page about it and once it's there, once it's in Know Your Meme, you can confidently say that it is a well-known slash established pop culture reference because it's on that site. Because people crowdsourced and put together a page for that meme. Right. Okay, I didn't think of the pop cultural aspect. Mm. I was just thinking of like research article or even analysis. Sometimes, I mean, you can write about a lot of things. And if you need to illustrate, if you really need to illustrate the point that this thing is a notable pop culture reference or this thing was a notable pop culture reference in the 90s, You can use sources like that to illustrate, oh, it really was. And the activity back then really indicates this. Yeah. Mm, Okay, okay. So we track our running goals, our sleep goals, our weight goals. For me personally, I track my weight every day. Is there something that you track or do every day on the personal side? Not let's leave the goals aside, on the personal side. Okay, I'm actually really glad that we are talking about this now because... Okay, I'm just going to hijack the whole conversation and talk about me and me only. Okay, so... (laughs) Yes, I do have certain routines and streaks that I maintain on a day-to-day basis. Or rather, I did have. Because earlier this year, I intentionally broke my Duolingo streak that has been going on for 1,200 over days. That's about four years. 1,000... Over days. More than a thousand days. (gasps) Goodness. Yes, I will show you the screenshot. It's amazing. So Duolingo is a language learning app. And basically what it does is it gives you lessons and practice drills. And you can learn the basics of the language that you're interested in. And basically it's a very slow and gradual but consistent way of learning or getting exposed to a language. And it's a very good first step. And... After like four years of me trying to learn Spanish, specifically for me, I wanted to learn Spanish, but it's gotten to a point where Duolingo alone isn't giving me enough benefit to continue. Ah, Yeah, so I stopped. So if you really wanted to learn a language, it should be something immersive and dynamic. You can try something like HelloTalk, where the app matches you to another user that's trying to learn your language. So for example, if you're an English speaker, you're trying to learn French, it will match you to a French speaker natively that is trying to learn English. Yeah, and then you guys, both of you can communicate with each other and correct each other's grammar and mistakes. And it's very interesting. So I haven't tried that yet because I think the commitment is a bit too high. 
that's a stupid excuse, but I really think that I don't have the commitment to continue to maintain a conversation for so long. And I always feel very sad for the person if I leave them hanging. <laughs> yeah, so that's one thing. Yeah, so that's the Duolingo stuff that I have to share. Uh, I used to have a Snapchat streak as well, and other stupid games like Pokemon Go and Kart Rider. These things that incentivize us to... stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta say It's mindless at least Because the the bottom line Like Duolingo rewards you For maintaining a streak Because this is its incentive To kind of Low-key guilt trip you Like oh my god it's 11pm already You haven't clocked your Duolingo Practice today Then that stupid green owl will come And then <laughs> Yeah, you've seen memes about it, right? The Duolingo Owl mm. is very important part of internet culture, like, today. That Duolingo Owl will come and, like, pester you and try and get you to complete your language learning of the day. And it's a bit of a guilt trip that's going on, but ultimately, it's effective. And if consistent exposure is what it takes to learn a language, then, yeah, so be it. So, for most mobile games, consistent exposure is what it takes to generate revenue for the game. So the idea is that if you get exposed to the game long enough, you inevitably spend real-world currency to buy in-game items, stuff like that. But I don't, so I just clock the streak as and when, and it becomes a very performative or a perfunctory thing. Yeah, so like not much benefit, but I just do it because the streak is there, and kind of because I have to kind of thing. Yeah. Hello Talk is a good app because you know you get to connect with someone who is try- who speaks whatever language that you're learning for mm. years so they can actually teach you the slang yeah, how the locals yeah. speak you know all the shortcuts mm-hmm. I think it sounds to me like you learn faster than the Duolingo yeah. app yeah but it's also the commitment, the effort is different. And also, slang is different regionally. Mm, so true. it's also very different. Like depending on who you get matched with, it's really, it's a hit or miss. And it depends on you whether you want to get exposed to more people, which will eat into more time for you. Yeah. Mm, but I'm sure the person, the other party, like even us, if we use a slang, we would definitely tell them, oh, um, this is a slang, it's a short form of, you know, so-and-so mm-hmm. type of mm-hmm. way of saying, yeah. But on the games, Card Rider is not stupid. This is not a sponsored <laughs> post, but I am a huge fan of Card Rider. I've played okay. it for, I don't want to disclose the years now that I'm talking. I realize it's a bit long, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Card Rider. Okay. And similar to you and your relationship with Pokemon Go, I log into Card Rider every day for X amount of years as well. And I look super cute in the game. Sure, sure. But looks aside, I'm pretty proud of my rank as well. I mean, ultimately, you did spend um X amount of years on it, so it is pretty long and you better have something to show for it lah yeah and this is the kind of thing like the game entices you with these rewards so that you will continue staying on yes and we are best friends on the app yes okay (laughs) I identify myself as one of those that can really maintain a hardcore streak case and point my 1200 days in Duolingo a not so impressive streak is my snapchat streak my longest Snapchat streak with my friend was about 300 days. 
before my friend went to Vietnam and his phone got snatched. Oh my god! Yeah, so he didn't manage to send me a snap in time because he never got his phone back. Yeah, but that was why. <laughs> That's a very funny story that I keep telling people. Yeah, but that happened and that broke my 300-day-long streak with my friend. I'm more sad at the lost phone than at the broken streak. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it happens in Vietnam quite a bit. Oh god. Like... The main point is like, I can do it. But after a while, you gotta review and decide whether it's perfunctory, like it serves no purpose or benefit anymore. It's just a thing that you do. And yeah, towards the end, I did feel like it's a bit of an obligation. Like, I never missed the streak, by the way. Like, I was very good at maintaining it. It's just a thing I do on the commute to school or work. And it felt like I wasn't allowed to do anything else, like for the first 15 minutes of the train ride, for example. But also, it kind of grounded me as a person, like the Duolingo streak, like this is Duolingo. Yeah, Mm. so it kind of grounded me. Like the first 15 minutes of the first train ride of the day will always be like you being exposed to Spanish. There were pros and cons. But ultimately, I'm actually much happier now that I've ditched the streaks. I guess if you, you know, you keep doing a routine or habit or try maintaining a, a streak, the fun element is lost, then it defeats the purpose. I mean, the reason why I maintain certain streak, right, is because it's still fun to me. It still appeals to me. It doesn't mm. feel like a shore. Yeah, and I think that's very important because that's what keeps it yeah. going. I mean, I don't think I ever viewed it as a chore. It was just... A thing that had to happen, lor. like I have to commute to work anyway, so it's just a given. Like the first few minutes of it is on the app, and me being exposed to it, and I do feel kind of happy. But I feel even happier now that like I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it means it's time to drop already. Yeah, Once okay. There's no fun. It's time to drop. yeah, drop already. It's fine. But this brings me to let's say something like cleaning your room. Do you have a fixed schedule to clean your room? Because if it's a schedule, right? Like, let's say you clean your workspace every Sunday. On one hand, like, if it's not dirty by the time the scheduled cleaning is supposed to happen, right? Then it's kind of a wasted effort, right? Like, the interval between cleaning wasn't optimized. But on the other hand, right? What if in the middle of the week, it's already dirty? Then what do you do? Do you schedule in an ad hoc cleaning session or do you continue plowing through until it's Sunday and then you clean? For me, I don't have a fixed schedule when it comes to cleaning my room. Other aspects of life, yes, but not mm. when it comes to cleaning my room. I used to have it then. It's just as um, and when, la, is it? Yeah, I think I mentioned to you guys when I get frustrated at my room, the <laughs> state that it is in, then I'll do a one effective and efficient one rather than scheduling it every week, every month. Ooh. Okay, okay. So do you notice that your workspace slowly becomes gradually more and more dusty throughout the days? Yeah, that's something that I really don't like. Eh. Like even if I don't open my windows like frequently throughout the week, does still accumulates like everywhere and it annoys me so much. There is, unfortunately, no way around this. So the the way to solve this is really to increase your cleaning frequency. Yeah, so when the dust starts to annoy me, and then, Mm. yep, it's time for a deep clean session. I wonder how regular or consistent this is. Like maybe you should keep track of when you actually clean your room and like how roughly what interval do you get annoyed? Huh, maybe I should keep track. It's not something that 
okay from all our conversation I can tell you're someone that love to keep track of everything in your life and have all this data <laughs> but not so for me other aspect okay. yes like changing bed sheet is something that I'm very particular about and I have a schedule for it mm, okay what interval is yours? so for changing bed sheet it's usually uh, on a 3 weeks interval Wow. And there will be a hard stop date. So by that date, because you know, on some days might be busy, or mm. like you know, you, you travel. Yeah, you travel throughout yeah, the yeah, week. Yeah. Then your bed is left untouched. So I have a scheduled date and a hard stop date. So by that wow. date, right, clean or dirty have to change. But that's when it comes to bed sheet, cause I'm very particular about it. Okay, what mechanism do you use to track this? Like, is it on your calendar? Yes, on my calendar. Amazing, I love this. And maybe just to share another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realise I'm a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, I also have a schedule when it comes to cutting nails. No, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so this one is also, I'm very particular about it. Like the, I will have a scheduled date and also a hard stop date also for when it comes oh, to nail cutting. So by that day, I have to cut my nails. Like, by that day, if it's not cut, you need to drop everything and immediately start cutting your nails. Yes, I have to make time on that date to go and oh cut my, my nails, God. which doesn't take up much time, lah, but it's something mm. that I'm particular is because um, if I don't cut my nails, it, uh, I will have some skin issues. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so, so that's the good, reason good. why I have this schedule. Mm, your imperfections ground you as a person, make you a more responsible person after all. Yeah, but it's the, um, the little things, uh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it suddenly occurred to me I'm still thinking about the cleaning room part Because I don't have a fixed schedule either But I try to maintain a fixed schedule But I suddenly thought about this This is the battle between principalism and functionalism Like whether you want to functionally When it's dirty, then you clean Or it's a matter of principle Every Sunday I clean <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Oh, and there is true. no conclusion between this, yeah. It's just two schools of thought, and I subscribe to a hybrid of these thoughts, yeah. Well, that is very well summarized. <laughs> I just, it just occurred to me. Yeah, very well summarized. I like that, I like that. Okay, now we moved on to one of our favorite show on Netflix, and that's Black Mirror. Yes. So previously, we did season one. Today, we're gonna touch on season two. And in season two... Wait, uh, oh before, wait. before we start on... We have to do a follow-up. <laughs> yes, you were quite surprised. I was quite surprised that the Black Mirror segment had its own follow-up. But this can't go in the episode follow-up because maybe some people didn't listen to the Black Mirror part. Okay, so the follow-up is just that in Season 1, Episode 2, 15 Million Merits, the technology that is able to detect if you're watching the screen, this has applications, I realised. It has applications on a car dashboard. I was guessing, is it driving? When you mentioned it has application. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. We didn't, at least I didn't think of it, of it until I re-listened to us talking about it and then I realised, oh, under what circumstances do you need to make sure that someone is paying attention to something else? And on a car dashboard is the most important thing that you need to make sure that someone has their eyes on the road when they're driving and they're not falling asleep halfway. So actually, this is very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> just something I want to share. As in, you're saying that this technology can be applied to future yeah. cars, is it? Because 
our take on it on the last episode was that this was such an intrusive micromanaging technology. But turns out there is a pretty compelling case of why you want to use it. And I would be happier if every car in the world right now was fitted with this technology. Yeah. Huh. Would I be happier? Okay, to each their own, to each their own. <laughs> so moving on to season two of Black Mirror. There's three episodes. And shall mm-hmm. we start with the first? Sure, yes. Okay, so the first is titled Be Right Back. And just mm-hmm. a very brief summary of what this episode is about. It features a young couple that just moved in um together. Notably, they moved in from the city to the country to try and have a more chill and laid-back lifestyle. And it was the first day that they moved in together. The guy was returning the moving van that they engaged to help with the move and he never made it back. And yeah, he passed on. And the technology that was introduced to the main character, played by Hayley Atwell, I'm just going to call her Hayley because she is so good. <laughs> okay, Hayley Atwell is an incredible actress. Okay, so the technology that was introduced to Hayley was that she was able to first interact with a AI bot, a chat bot that pulled together information that her ex-spouse... Her, how do you refer to a spouse that passed away? Uh? Still spouse, right? Uh, okay. Her dead husband. <laughs> no, cannot. Okay, I'm just going to say spouse and leave it as that. Okay, yeah. so... Her spouse portrayed himself... <laughs> I keep thinking dead husband. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Okay. She is able to interact with a AI chatbot that pulled together information from her spouse when he was still alive and he was on social media portraying himself. So based on all this big data and maybe a bit of extrapolation, the chatbot is able to produce responses that sounded as though he was the one that's actually responding to her. And that is such a powerful and emotional moment when she was able to finally reconnect again with him. Yeah, and it slowly became like a more... It snowballed into more and more things because the chatbot turned into a voice recognizer, voice synthesizer that Haley was able to supplement information about his voice and the chatbot was able to produce the responses in his voice, which is a bit creepy, but ultimately, in terms of technology, is very enabling and very impressive that it was able to do that. And then, ultimately, Haley decided to sign up for this service where it would deliver a full-sized human body that acts as a surrogate body for the person who has passed on. And the ethics of this was not fully discussed And honestly, I don't know how I feel about something like that. But yeah, it happened. And the episode goes on to describe the downfall of this idea, why it didn't work. Yeah, and Haley's eventual solution towards all this. And I feel that while it is not a super bombastic episode, it is still a very powerful concept that we have to discuss right now. Yeah, so can I just pose to you the very basic question, like, What do you feel about this, actually? Is it a positive leaning or is it a negative leaning? Like, the ability to effectively resurrect a surrogate copy, like a backup copy of someone who you once knew, 
Okay, to answer your question, negative leaning, but I just wanted mm. to like TLDR the whole summary. Um, it's like a basically Haley had a clone of her previ- her former mm. husband, mm. and she was unhappy because her former husband is reacting to her based on what was being uploaded onto his system. Yeah. And eventually, she was unhappy because you know life changes. Then there's new experiences. I think that there was a point. Eventually, she came to realize that. No matter how real or alive this clone looks like, it will never be her husband. Mm. That's why I have a negative leaning to your question because it will never replace the person that you lost and you miss. What about you? Okay, okay. So my response would vary depending on the accuracy and efficacy of the technology because I feel like this is a recurring theme throughout the entire Black Mirror universe. Like, this technology doesn't work. We are exploring, we are using this episode to explore this technology's downfall, why it doesn't work. But the reason why it's not working, it's because it wasn't a perfect replica. It was because the technology is limited in a sense. So in this case, the limitation is that ultimately, the robot version of the guy was unable to accurately or adequately replicate the responses of the real person. And I feel like this is its downfall. Like, if you have sufficiently smart AI and sufficient surveillance that was able to pull more data during the time that you were alive, you could get a much closer version, much more accurate version of a dead person. Yeah. So I feel that if you are able to get to that tipping point, but I can't tell. I effectively can't tell whether you are a dead person or whether you are the real person or not, then I would actually be very okay with this technology. Huh, interesting. When you mm. were saying about this, right, then suddenly, you know, a thought hit me, like, mm-hmm. especially when it's, you know, romantic relationship where both partners grow together, yeah. you wouldn't want that partner to remain status quo. You want to grow through life with them. If not, you will very well end up with a situation where you outgrow your partner. Yeah, sure. So what makes you think that the AI robot thing cannot also grow from its experience? It can too. Mm, <laughs> there just agreed. wasn't enough data. Yeah. But I feel that we are growing from... Okay, personally for me, I feel that I'm growing from new experiences. If, you know, based on my past experience, there's only so much I can grow. I need new mm-hmm. stimulus, new experiences, whether good or bad, to grow. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's I think that's the beauty of, you know, humans changing, growing, you you don't stay status quo. Mm, yeah, sure. So a sufficiently well-modeled robot would be able to grow the same way a regular human can as well. So clearly this didn't happen in this episode lah, because in the end it was limited by like the Android bot. Right? right? No, the Android bot couldn't even like get a certain radius away from the house, like its point of origin. So Ultimately, the way that this episode is portraying this technology is very in is in its infantile stages. It's clearly not ready to be deployed fully yet. You still need to look after, you still need to baby this android that's going around pretending to be your dead husband, effectively. Yeah. But I feel like if you have enough data and if you maximize surveillance in an uncomfortable way, right, that is able to replicate your public and private responses, then you get to a point where there is no difference between that robot and you when you were still alive. 
you know? And I would be more okay with that than this imperfect technology that was explored in this episode. <laughs> huh, it's, it's so sad though, like, the robot exists because of the living. Then what if the mm-hmm. sole purpose of the robot's existence also passed on? The purpose of the robot's existence? Is for the living. Yeah, the purpose of the robot is to continue being the most accurate version of that dead person when he was alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is for the living to carry on with your job and everything, but you'll be redundant in your job one day, and the person who missed you will pass on one day also. Uh-huh. So then... <laughs> okay, then so... what happens to the robot? It gets destroyed, right? I don't know, it was never addressed in the episode. But I want to bring up a story that I've heard before. Imagine this future, in the far future, dystopian universe where humans have all died, but there are a lot of emails being sent out here and there. Like, all of the emails are between devices trying to make excuses for postponing meetups. So, what happened in this dystopian universe is that it turns out as a human is about to die, as someone is about to die, they will set up this automated system where they would perpetually postpone a meetup with any of the incoming meetup requests that is coming to them. Do you get it? So like, imagine I'm going to die, right? And then I, I set up this automatic AI system that is able to create responses that really replicate me. And just it's just going to keep deflecting any request to meetup, request to call or otherwise connect and then I'm just gonna say things like oh I'm just too busy this week like why not let's do it next month then it's able to very convincingly do that yeah and then one day if I die and then the email system is still gonna continue going on and imagine if this service becomes so popular that everyone is doing it and then eventually the last human will die and then eventually earth is just left with this empty shell of like all these emails flying around making excuses for meetups that will never be attended in the first place so what you just mentioned reminded me of this like yeah and because i thought about like oh if Haley then passes on and dies then you'll get a robot version of Haley to replace her and then eventually it will just become these two android beings that are living the lives of the people that lived before them even though they have expired their mortal time in the world isn't that kind of a bit fascinating? Huh, I find it a bit dark. Okay, firstly, on the dystopian world about, like, mm-hmm. excuses, why do you keep postponing something that you will never be able to attend? I feel that if someone passed on, the email <laughs> should change to, like, hi, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, but this is just the way it goes. Like, imagine if you want to keep your death a very low-profile one, and you just have this idea that, okay, I'm just gonna perpetually delay and postpone every um, request to meet up until they get tired of it, until they get bored of it. And then if you are a sane human, if someone keeps postponing your meetups, you will naturally stop asking or actually decrease your frequency of asking for a meetup. And that's the way they intend for it to die down. But the thought experiment is that, like, what if it doesn't? So I actually don't remember where I read this story before. Yeah, but I I need to... If I find it, it will be in the show notes. Yeah, but this is from a story. It's not an original thing. I did not think about this myself. But yeah, the idea is that people become obsessed with this kind of... Because it is a very simple way to solve this kind of problem. Like, I'm dead. I can't respond. But if I have an AI service that helps to generate a plausible response and an excuse as to why I can't physically meet up 
then people won't actually have to find out that I'm dead. And it is good enough for some people that they might utilize this service and if it gets widespread enough, over the tipping point, everyone is using it, it becomes a positive feedback loop that never actually ends. It will become like the first AI system that's communicating with another AI system trying to make excuses for each other. Yeah, and I just think that it's fascinating. I find it it so weird. Like, it only becomes a problem when the like more AI systems than humans in this system. Okay, I can't wrap my head around it. Partially, it's um quite late this timing, but I just find it so weird. Like, if you're never gonna meet someone, don't postpone it perpetually. Like, put a yeah, full yeah, stop okay. to the story. It's okay. Don't keep don't don't think along the lines of that. It's just a thought experiment. Like, imagine ah. this. Like, there is no because ultimately by that point, right? We are not in control of our lives anymore. We have already passed on. But like, the idea is like, what will the robot enjoy? think of you because if the technology is accurate enough for the robot android to be an accurate depiction of you when you were alive right they will continue on to do great things with your original intentions that you had when you were alive and that's a tool or something to carry on your legacy with even though it's not you consciously but it's remnants of you or it's like your brain scan at that point that was there what we call a synaptic snapshot at that point. So in a way, it's still powerful and it's a way to carry on your legacy. So I don't know, would you choose for something like that to happen to you when you die? Like to it keep behind? It is my question from the mirror. Like, would oh, you? I hijacked it. I hijacked it. Would you do it? I might. So it depends on where the technology is. Uh, so you might. Mm. No, yes Be- or no? It really depends on where the technology is. If the technology is as it was presented in this episode, which I think is really, really in its infancy, then no, I wouldn't because I wouldn't want someone to have to baby me around and take care of me and make sure I don't leave that radius. That's really sad. But if I am autonomous, if I am autonomous enough, I'm able to make my own decisions and of course, safeguarded by the same laws that apply to humans, I really would consider doing that because I don't want my friends to be sad that I'm gone. And if I can leave behind a part of me that successfully encapsulates what it means for me to still be alive on Earth, even though that being is not me, I might choose to do that. Huh. Okay, so I guess yours is um, depending on... So based on the parameters you said, like if the technology is based on what you just described, you would subscribe mm. to this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. I think for me from our conversation it's a clear no I wouldn't oh, so you want your legacy to like your your great ideas you only envision and you never got to execute you want those to like die forever as in for me I feel the essence of being alive is being able to enjoy and, and experience life if my time has passed and you know if okay I'm assuming that I am not someone of like super great importance that's running a country or a company. I wouldn't subscribe to this service unless it's a way to help whoever I left behind cope with the mm. grief and move on. So the only way I will subscribe to this service if there if I'm able to set a parameter, my robotic clone must mm. not interact with another robotic clone so once there are no other what no but you wouldn't know (laughs) so I would say a parameter if I were to subscribe to this service I want to ensure that my robotic clone will not interact with another robotic clone such that you know if all that is left are robotic clones my robotic clone will shut down 
how would your clone know if the other person is also a clone? Because remember that the point of the clone is to pretend to not be a clone. So other people's clones are doing the same thing, walking around pretending to be human as well. There's no way to tell. But I feel that every electronical device, there will be a unique like ID code or IP address. Sure, sure. So perhaps, you know, <laughs> going all technical here but yeah yeah sure sure yeah like what you mentioned if the technology is whatever you describe if the technology is whatever I describe that's the only way that will make me like subscribe to this service otherwise assuming I'm not someone who's running a country or company or you know I passed on mm. when I was executing a great idea nah man this is not for me okay so very interestingly that we explored this question from the angle that whether we would choose to resurrect ourselves effectively. Mm. But the thing about this episode was that the the dead person never had a choice. Yeah, that's it. It was her idea (laughs) to bring him back in an effort to cope with her loss. Yeah, so ultimately, no point talking about this, right? Because if the technology exists, it's also not not our decision. (laughs) Unless you can put it in your will, but the whole story makes me feel like the purpose of all these, like, clone, all this tech, right, it's not for the dead, it's for the living. Mm. Yeah, so, that's why I'm leaning towards a no. Unless the living, you know, the living ones say it'll make the living life better, then, okay, I will subscribe to this service for the lifespan of the living people that I left behind. So, if I die, will you bring me back? No matter how much I missed you, I think I wouldn't, I'm sorry. Are you sure? Even though the power is right there, you just have to register for a site, just have to link up my socials. Because I believe you no? will not be you and it'll be hard for me, so I will never move on. What if it's a perfect replica? Unless it's super perfect. I might consider. Yeah, also technology, yeah. It's not a straight yes or a hard yes. To me, doesn't vibe with me. Mm, okay, okay. But because now we're all speaking without emotions, I guess, you know, when <laughs> when we really have that emotion, right, confirm is a different story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my logical brain was, now is saying no, but my emotional brain, I don't know, man. Might have no choice, right, but to just subconsciously go and register, go and link up my socials. Okay, interesting technology, a bit creepy. <laughs> so, the second episode of season 2 mm, is okay. called White oh. Bear. This episode blew oh. my mind. This has to be one of my favourite episodes of the entire Black Mirror universe. It is. Yeah. Shall I do a brief summary? Because I feel I can spoil the show in just a few sentences. Before you start, let me just say something about, like, generally. So, some episodes takes so long to set up. For most episodes of Black Mirror, right, you are confused through the first half, then the second half clears it up. But for this episode, the first 90% is the confusing part and the last 10% clears up everything. It explains everything. So, yeah, I agree with you. We can't really explain what this episode is without spoiling it in its entirety. So, let's go! (laughs) Okay, so I'm gonna spoil the show, so if you have not watched it, please stop listening at this point. Oh, we should have said that just now, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, so I'm just gonna do a very brief summary. So TLDR, White Bear is basically showing a criminal punishment system. Mm. In one sentence, it is giving the criminal whatever treatment that they subjected their victims to. So in this episode, 
this lady mm. was actually a kidnapper of a little kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And while kidnapping the kid, uh, she led the kid into a forest, basically bring her through a lot of adversity. And in the eyes of the people who created this criminal punishment system, the kid probably felt a lot of fear and mm. hardship. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they put her through. Mm-hmm. The same fear and hardship, not knowing what's going on, what did she do to deserve this treatment, everything. So the full experience of what she subjected her victim to, and she relieved this over and over again, yeah. that it becomes an attraction for people to actually watch her live through this ordeal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very yes. interesting concept, actually. Brutal, cold-blooded murder was depicted in this episode, but it's staged, so it kind of makes sense. And basically, I can't believe that the actors need to go through this every day. Like, the maintenance required just to keep up a show for everyone, especially that one female one that was with her for a majority of the time, like, trying to spoon-feed her and nudge things along. I can't believe the amount of effort required to maintain this justice park, as they call it. So, why is confusing? Because at the start, you wouldn't know what's going on as mm. you're watching the show through the perspective of Victoria herself. Like, why mm. are people treating her this way? Why is she going through this? And it's only at the end that they show you that this is a criminal punishment system. Really, the last 10%. And in fact, towards the end, they were almost like edging her to pull the trigger. And that was the point it was revealed that everything is a show. Yeah, it's, it's very disturbing. Like, it was a total, like, my mind just exploded when that was revealed, yeah. Yes, and what's messed up is when they do the big review, she's also aware that, oh my gosh, this is a review. So she's reminded of all her crimes, why we are putting you through this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After the end of the whole big review, they zap her brain using electricity such that she'll forget everything, uh, only remnants of her memory will remain, and then the whole thing will start again. I want to talk about this memory wiper, because can you think of any practical applications for this? Like, surely there are things that would be beneficial or like a bit convenient if you just forget certain things, and maybe there are applications, mm. minus the pain, of course. I don't think you want to yeah, get yeah. the pain all the time. I read somewhere that this is actually in practice for trauma patients. Ooh. So they will try to make the patient forget the trauma. I'm not sure how true is this, because oh. I read it, uh, I can't remember the source as well, but uh, for trauma patients who can't you know, get over that trauma, they will invoke such a procedure. Mm. Mm. What about you? What do you think this technology can be applied to? I, I don't know. I can't think of any at the top of my head. But it could be really simple things like, let's say it's a job interview for a very exclusive company mm. and the CEO wants to ensure that you forget whatever questions that were asked and you only know the outcome. Yeah, so something like that, like, it could be useful for things like that. Damn, why? Why? <laughs> why? It's great. It's very effective. I mean, if you really forget it, that's great. Like, company secrets, like, the very bottleneck of the company, like, getting into employment with the company, it's a closely guarded secret. Yeah, imagine if that was really the case. Wow, I would I would just skip the interview totally. Eh? If there's a clause at the end of the interview contract that says that, um, yeah, I agree to have my memory wiped out after the interview. No, 
No, but you wouldn't know. It's just a regular NDA, like non-disclosure agreement. But you don't know that the NDA will actually be enforced by wiping your memory. Mm. That's unethical. <laughs> <laughs> of course, but here we are breaking every rule of ethics. So, yeah. <laughs> Moving on to the third episode of season 2, is titled The Waldo Moment. Yes. And TLDR Moment. It mixes comedy and politics. So, uh-huh. this guy created a cartoon bear mm. where he would voice this bear and basically animate this bear behind a screen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, that's how the show starts. And then, it transitioned into this bear making uh, political jokes, throwing shades at politicians. And this all happens uh, when the there's a election uh, going on in the country. Mm. This bear gained popularity by throwing shades at politicians that he decided to run for the election mm-hmm. instead. So, before we actively start to analyse this episode, I would just like to say that this is perhaps one of my least favourite episodes of Black Mirror. Like, I wouldn't really rewatch it. The only reason to rewatch it is for the podcast, but after I rewatch it, turns out I have quite a bit of things to say. Oh, share more. The first thing I'd like to share is that this technology of Waldo actually exists. Have you heard of Turtle Talk with Crush? No, I haven't. Eh. A Disney Sea attraction. Yeah, so Crush is the character in Finding Nemo. Finding Dory, actually. The turtle that talks to you. Mm. It's a very famous attraction. So you're able to ask Crush the turtle questions and he's able to respond live feedback mm. and live responses right there mm. to you. And yeah, like the technology of Waldo, it is actually puppeted by another person, by a voice actor that is inside, behind a screen somewhere. So this technology actually exists, but it's more for an entertainment mm. reason. Oh, that reminds me, I've also watched this Halloween uh, Horror Night video by one uh, of the yeah, Universal yeah. Studio in the country. I think it's LA. Then um, this technology was also used in bringing Chucky alive. So Chucky would actually oh interact with the audience. So Chucky is seated on like uh, at a pedestal or a building. I can't remember. And then um, it would be like a live show where the audience can interact with Chucky during the, this whole Halloween Horror Night event. Very interesting. I can include a link to the YouTube clip. Okay. That is very scary. <laughs> oh no. But interesting, interesting. So like Ville mentioned, it's also one of my least favourite episodes. So the cartoon character is called Waldo. So Jamie, the main character, eventually didn't agree with the direction of where Waldo is heading towards. And he also didn't agree that you no know, comedy should be mixed with politics. Eventually he was kicked out. And another guy came mm. in to voice as Waldo. And I think it did follow a bit of uh, Jamie's dilemma on whether he made the right choice. Because after all, he is the creator of Waldo. And he got kicked out of his own show. So, there was a point where, when Jamie still had his job, la, like Jamie was voicing Waldo and they were on a talk show like with Monroe, another candidate. Monroe actually poked the bear, <laughs> quite literally, by saying something like, like, out of disbelief, like, why is this blue bear here? Like, it doesn't even make sense. This is a politics talk show, and, like, him being here is just a distraction, something like that. And Jamie actually broke down in Waldo's character, like, he started showing, like, he started being very angry and yelling at Monroe, the politician, Mm. about all this, and, like, yes, Jamie is a comedian, but that doesn't give the politician the right to belittle him, you know? Like, he still is a citizen of this country, he's still going through the politics the political system that this country has generated for him. So it's actually like, 
yeah, Monroe did mm. this, like, he poked the bear by himself. So there was outburst and satire has the power to, like, give power to the most ridiculous things. Just like Jamie himself says, I'm the voice of a blue bear. If that's doing well, then we're all doomed. Yeah, yes, but... agree. S- yeah. Like, the thing is that for humanity as a whole, right, stupid things get ridiculously popular all the time. We see an example like every few weeks or so, like something would go viral and it doesn't make sense, but it will go viral and there's no way to explain mm-hmm. it. That's true. Okay, yeah. basically, uh, Moro poked the bear because Moro, uh, through Moro's debate with Waldo the bear, Moro was able to have an accurate reading of, you know, who is the person behind the bear. So he went to, like, mm-hmm. personal attack, insulted Jamie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, okay, I do agree that, like, certain things that, you know, that are ridiculous, that are, you know, um, not, that deviates from your normal life do gain, like, virality on the internet and it's actually very powerful. Being viral on the internet is very powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe I can jump in here and say, so there was that interview with Monroe and, Jay- and Waldo. So... After the whole debacle, Monroe actually launched a complaint against the Waldo show, but instead of Waldo being removed or regulated, the media network decided to increase the frequency of his content. Like, then it just got me thinking, like, in the episode, like, what is the point of this complaint system? And then I realized something like that has occurred in real life before. So part of, like, the things that I was poking around online, I found that... The whole point is that, like, controversy sells. And, like, Grand Theft Auto V, the game, mm-hmm. had a lot of criticism because of a lot of violence against women and it was banned from Australia. But despite this, right, it still became, like, one of the best-selling video games of all time, like, just behind Minecraft. Yeah, so even though, like, you're trying to ban something, like, you're trying to restrict, like, regionally something it can still explode in popularity elsewhere where it's not so regulated. So it's really like maybe, yeah, the whole world functions like this. Like, there is a parallel to the whole world like this. Like you can try to launch a complaint against this thing, but ultimately what's going to get viral or popular is not determined by you. The world will just continue going on and do its own thing. Mm, that's true, that's true. Okay, so question from the mirror. Do you think when it comes to comedy... Are there any like strict boundaries that cannot be crossed or everything can be joked about in the right light? Oh my god, we're gonna talk about this? Yeah. That's the question from the mirror. <laughs> um I guess that would depend on the closeness of the recipient. Like with you, off air, there are no boundaries. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> care <true>. to filter. <laughs> yeah. So with you I can joke about everything because of our proximity, of our closeness. But on air we have to be a bit more regulated and moderated. We do have a set of guidelines that we do review from time to time to make sure that what we are producing is on color. Okay. <laughs> yeah, to make sure that yeah, what mm. we are producing is politically correct. Perhaps not on a personal level as in stand-up comedians. I I'm not sure if you know, you know there's recently in the early to mid of this year, mm. right? There's a few stand-up comedians that say like, you know, now the internet, the world is so sensitive, nothing can be joked about because their jokes are not viewed oh. in the right light. But they do not have malicious intention when you know when they when they have when they pour on their performance. So do you think, not on a personal level, do you think when it comes to stand-up comics, can anything we joke about or should there be boundaries? 
there should be boundaries. Because as a public speaker, you are putting forth ideas that potentially could be misconstrued. So you need to be at least marginally responsible for the ideas that you put forth. You cannot, I'm sorry, you cannot be like Donald Trump asking people to storm the Capitol and then retroactively saying that it was a joke afterwards. Okay, that is true. Because people did die. Yeah, so you see, you can't call to arms something so extreme, especially like if you're trying to be funny and especially when the audience is expecting a form of relief but yet you bring them grief with your unintended like discrimination or unintended offense just because you weren't sensitive enough. But then again, I believe stand-up comedy bars also have different styles and different tiers. So maybe there are certain restricted adult stand-up comic bars and oh, definitely. you can expect different kind of jokes to be cracked there but still there are boundaries you do not promote terrorism there yeah even though no matter how how funny you're trying to be yeah that's true very well said like just because someone you know doesn't have malicious intention but they have a call to action people might actually execute the action but with malicious intention mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's true yeah but if you generally if it's a joke no call to action just plain joke I'm of the opinion that mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. there shouldn't be boundaries everything should be you know taken lightly but no call to action it's interesting that we're talking about this again because what I want to touch upon right is a thing about responsible joke telling if it is a thing at all because I also do follow a few stand-up comics and this is a a point of contention that they have to think about because their careers literally depend on it. So there are different things that you can joke about that people will ultimately find funny. Mm. But you shouldn't, I feel like this is where I stand, that you shouldn't just joke about something like some person's race or sexual orientation just for the sake of it i can make jokes about like how it's like to be asian like we have different stereotypes we have different ways perspectives of viewing the world we are very i don't know feisty uh, yes, stingy plastic bags yeah yeah so we are all that but i would never make fun of our accent for example because that's not relevant and it's not really funny and it's a low blow do you agree with this? Um, okay, this might sound controversial, but mm-hmm. I feel it's in the right light and no, you know, malicious intention. Mm. I do find it amusing uh, when, you know, stand-up comics try to, like, imitate a Asian person, you know, the, the, yeah, uh, the sure, way we sure. speak, our stereotypes. Mm. So, impersonation is a very large part of stand-up comedy and a lot of people do it actively like Eliza Schlesinger is one of the best impersonators her many voices my gosh I watch all yeah. her Netflix shows too you watch all? Okay. but I don't find her funny though some of her content is a bit extreme she is like a very strong feminist and all that okay but I want to direct you to this video that was posted by Natalie Tran she is an Australian YouTuber, comedian, and she has been active like on and off the last decade on YouTube, and her stuff is generally funny. This particular video that I'm going to share like, is her talking about like what it's like to be an Asian comedian 
uh, in a mostly white universe. Mm. Yeah, that's around her lah because she stays in. I think she still stays in Australia mm. or, but like it's pretty white dominated. It's just her discussing her perspective of it, and I feel like I want you to watch it like eventually. But I will sure, sure. try yeah, and compile it. it to me. Yeah, I'm someone that enjoys uh stand up comedy, so um to me I will feel that you know. If the stand-up comic cracks a joke just for fun, just for like as a mm. performance, I think it's cool. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm. But then again, people's feelings and I don't know. Like if something, a racist joke is a racist joke, no matter who tells it. You can't say that like I'm a Chinese. I can't be racist towards Chinese. Like I've heard that argument before, and it's not valid. Like you can still perpetuate the. Culture of racism, even if you are that minority race,、mm, and in doing so, that's not productive for the general state of the world. So there are certain things, I guess. I, I don't know. So that brings me to one of the jokes of my favorite comic, Daniel's Loss. So he mentioned in one、mm. of his Netflix special, if you're offended at his joke. He requests that you are offended at all the jokes. Don't be like, "Oh, I'm offended at this joke because I'm Asian," but I'm not offended at that joke because I have never been murdered. Yeah, so it's hilarious.、Oh. So he's saying that. So if you're offended at a joke, please have the decency to be offended by all other leading jokes.、Mm-hmm. And I love that. <laughs> okay, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> so I guess this brings us to the end of our analysis for Black Mirror season two. Yay! Thank you for staying on so far. Yes, hope you have a good one out there in the real world. Peace.